So if you were a villain, what would you want your villain backstory to be? Oh, that's a good question. I guess to to bring it back to last episode, uh, I, I like the Proto Man. I like the Proto Man backstory of being a villain, which is you like were designed to be a hero. Which is like I was designed to be a hero, but then I was betrayed by the people I was supposed to save. So now it's not it's not so much that I want to help the bad guy. It's just I am now this sort of cosmic righteous comeuppance for the people that should have had my back. Now I'm going to make it so that if they want to survive, they're going to have to do it themselves. They can't have any Mega Man come in and do it for them. They got to rise up and take take back their destiny. I like that. That's that's my sweet spot. That is a that is also very Metal Gear Solid, <laughs> which I've been watching yeah. a lot of Metal Gear Solid videos lately. And um, Metal Gear has some crazy twisty turns like that, where the bad guy is the good guy and the good guy's the bad guy. And oh my god, you could you could go on and on and on with the reveals and twists and turns in that whole franchise. But that's that's the one I really like. How about you? I think I would just, just based on the type of person I am, I think I would have one of those Selena Kyle Catwoman backstories where I'm the um, overlooked, overworked, uh, nerdy assistant who gets walked all over and then one day I can't take it anymore, but then I get thrown over a building by my boss and, I don't know, into a pile of cats or whatever happened to her wasn't Kristen wiggs character in wonder woman 84 named wasn't her character named shira and she was a character who was overlooked i didn't know that that her name was shira i think so i think that's the i think that's the comic book isn't it like sheila are you sure it's shira there's not a lot of shira characters running around I usually keep I track of them because they you don't you just don't see them that often. Um and usually they're not even on-screen characters. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Know. Oh, no, yeah, she plays Cheetah. You're right. That's not even I isn't I don't know. Way to get my hopes up. <laughs> um way yeah, to get my yeah. hopes up for a character outside of Hebrew language programming named <laughs> Shira. Um, but yeah, maybe that's maybe that's my reason for for becoming a villain. Lack of exposure, lack of representation for Shiras. Um lot, lot of Brett representation out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, no, I would be I would be the nerd, the nerd turned villain for sure. That I fell into a vat of acid. Went cuckoo crazy, sewed my own cat suit. That that's that's the level that that I'm operating at. Is there a is there an animal that you want to go after specifically, or is there like a are you going to be like the classical music villain, like the Batman? You know what I mean. Like, are you going to be? I don't know if classical music. I mean, I don't know if I would be the composer. 
I if there's an animal that I'm obsessed with, I really think minks are fascinating, and minks are really good at at hunting and killing things. Um, they're yeah, but I I don't know. Who knows if I would take after an animal or not? But I feel like my my sorts of like villain things would be like anarchist anti-capitalist things especially if batman was the hero right i mean the dude just basically spends his weekend going out into the hood and beating up people who are probably just trying to feed their families who's thought about that maybe batman's the real villain y'all all right let's go ahead and get started This is Necromancer. Necromancer. I'm Shira. I'm a fan of rom-coms. I'm Brett. I'm a fan of horror movies. Every week here at Necromancer, Brett picks a horror movie. I pick a rom-com. We then flip-flop those movies, and we turn the horror into a rom-com and the rom-com into a horror, just like any good villain should. Uh, and this week we are continuing villains as the theme. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I, I like people who do bad things and I particularly like when women do bad things. Ooh. Both of these these movies had some good women doing bad things moments. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize that I didn't, for whatever reason, didn't put the connection that the women are the villains in the in these movies. Women, uh, am I right? Ugh. Right. Women are so tricky and manipulative, and that's what I learned from this these movies. <laughs> but I also learned that women, they be right. Women are right, and women are very perceptive. Women, and in the case of my best friend's wedding, gay men. Oh my god, yeah. We'll we'll get into some of that perception later <laughs> for my remake, but Oh. Um, I wonder uh, if we went a similar direction. What I'm very curious to know because you're the one who picked the topic this week. What what made you have the craving for for villain is right? So, I recently was reading this historical romance series, uh, Maiden Lane by Elizabeth Hoyt. It's, it's a lot of fun. They're, you know, they're formulaic books, but one of the books featured the villain as the hero. And prior to this book, because a lot of romantic fiction, uh, if it's a series, there are characters that appear across books, and then it's kind of like a relay race. They pass the baton on to someone else, and somebody who might have been a supporting character in the previous book is now the main character of the next book. So you can usually walk into a series knowing that, hey, we're, we're going to find out what this person's deal is eventually. And in this series, the bad guy is basically historical romance Joker. He's, you know, very, very villainy, very bizarre. 
genuinely bad, blackmails, kills people. And so I, I really wondered, okay, how are they going to do this guy as the hero? And usually in a lot of romance novels, they'll try to give you a bad guy, but it's usually a good boy who thinks he's a bad boy, but then finds out he's a good boy when he falls yeah. in love. And you, you just, you're like, he wasn't really ever bad to begin with. He was just looking for somebody to redeem him. He's the this- George Costanza version of what a bad boy should be. Right, exactly. You know, he's he's following some rule. Like, if I just right. do the opposite of what I think the right thing to do is, then women will like me. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, but this villain was genuinely bad. Uh, the book is called Duke of Sin, by the way. It's bananas. This is not an entry level romance novel. I okay. think I think that if you've never read a romance novel and you're not acclimated to how romance novels tend to be. Um, this one would be a hard one to get into. Um, but I, I enjoyed just the sheer lunacy of making the villain the protagonist and not reforming him. And then I thought to myself, what movies have the villain as the hero? And better yet, which romance movies have this? And I, I feel like... My Best Friend's Wedding is one of those movies where when you think about the label romantic comedy, it's very easy to immediately draw up the image of that movie. My Best Friend's Wedding is just one of those rom-coms that's, you know, stood up as the example of this genre. But they also subvert a lot of tropes. So I think it's an interesting movie. I had never seen this movie before. I really? knew absolutely zero about it. You didn't even than, know that it was a famous rom-com? Well, I mean, I knew it was a famous rom-com, but I didn't know anything about it other than uh, Julia Roberts was in it. I had no idea that Cameron Diaz was in it, that Dermot Mulroney was in it, that the mom from Dharma and Greg was in it. <laughs> that MMA Walsh was in it for Brenda from Six Feet Under. Oh yeah. I yeah. I, I knew absolutely nothing. And I have to say, I'm very glad that I watched this movie based on your specific recommendation of villain is right. Or not that the villain is right, but that or, the villain is the hero. But right, because very quickly into this movie I could tell, like, wait a minute. She's the bad guy. (laughs) Well, she actually says, I'm the bad guy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And like halfway into this movie, I was thinking like, okay, yeah, this is basically the, I don't know which one came first, but this is basically the rom-com version of falling down. And then when she says, I'm right, the bad guy. Right, right. Uh, or uh, um, it, like the uh, song like, in oh, Big yeah, there it is. I'm the villain falling of my down. own story. I'm the bad guy. Uh, but, but yeah, she... It's a different movie if you watch it going into it knowing she's the bad guy. Right, definitely. Because she is very despicable and does a lot of very despicable things in the movie. And when it comes to hijinks, I don't think that this movie reaches the level that other movies do or that, like, I think some sitcoms are really good at just really really like making the hijinks satisfying 
And in this, there was a lot of mental gymnastics and genre gymnastics that had to occur to make some of these scenarios work. But I do think that there are two scenes in this movie that as hijinks and as scenes and, and lines do work, but, but we'll get to that. There were some parts that didn't work. Like, like the whole email scene just made me oh, feel yeah. Icky. that. Yeah. 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 That's when uh, I hate when movies like this specifically go out of their way to do something like that, where it, it I don't know. There's gotta be a better way. Um, Julia Roberts is in a lot of those movies, I think. Rom-com movies that I'm I I'm I'm not very Julia Roberts savvy. So a lot of my Julia Roberts So in the battle a, a oh, lot of the ahead. movies that I've seen of hers that are rom-com, I've seen because of this podcast. Um and so like um what was the what was the other one? Oh, I'm trying to remember, but but now I oh we saw Notting Hill. For yeah, the okay, yeah. So for Notting Hill, the whole fact that they have to draw out that final, I'm sorry, is like that's what that felt like in this. Is like okay, this movie is already thirty minutes too long for me. <laughs> like it was ninety minutes. It was an it was an hour and forty four minutes according according to okay, my okay. Netflix timer and. I I felt yeah I felt it I felt that at that moment when she was writing the email and stuff I was like we just want to start wrapping up like I don't need this whole other act like I don't need this whole other apology I don't I don't know man but well she had to do something really really bad in order to get the wedding called right. off but let's, okay let's let's, let's get into it so, my best friend's wedding starts out with uh, Julia Roberts, Jules. It's three weeks before her 28th birthday, and she's in New York City, and she's a food critic, and she receives a call from her lifelong friend, Michael O'Neill, who is a Chicago sports writer. Um, years ago, the two agreed. So, again, like... All right. So years ago, the two agreed that if they both were unmarried by the age 28, they would marry each other. Uh, Michael calls her and tell and she assumes that, oh, he's going to basically bring this back up. That He's more or less going to ask me to marry him or, or bring up the topic of marriage between us. She seems so sure that he's going to ask her as to marry. As sure him. as L Woods is that her boyfriend is going to propose in the first few minutes mm-hmm. of Legally Blonde, so is Jules um so confident that Michael is going to propose to her more or less. However, he says that he has met a beautiful college student named Kimmy Wallace, whose father owns the Chicago White Sox. Um, So realizing now, only now that she is in love with Michael, Jules resolves to sabotage his wedding and make it so that he marries her instead uh, because clearly Kimmy, a college student whose father is uh, the owner of the Chicago White Sox, is clearly not going to be the right choice for Mike. Clearly. But also, I think that 
I mean, this ultimately, I think, comes into play later in the movie, which is who's really her best friend here? Because Michael tells her he's getting married and that he needs her four days. Like he calls her on a Wednesday and says, hey, I'm getting married this Sunday. Nobody who is really your best friend would ever do you like that. Like you would know, you would know like if they were truly as great friends as they as they claim to be, she would have known about him dating Kimmy before he asked Kimmy to marry him and all this stuff. So there is this weird thing where I I mean Dermot Mulroney plays that role in a way that's very ambiguous and and <laughs> Dermot Mulroney is is perfect for ambiguous performances no. but it's like I can't believe I can't believe that he invited her without wanting to needle her a little bit for having kept him in limbo for 9 years I mean, but yeah, nobody okay. nobody with good intentions tells you it's their wedding four days before it's about to happen and that they need you okay, there. Okay, but first of all, Kimmy, the, the romance with Kimmy is a whirlwind romance, right? So it's not like he was planning this. He said it just took him over at the train stop, right? That he said, will you marry me? I, I got the impression that they had only known each other for a short period of time. May, mm. I mean, I don't know. Uh, maybe I, I missed that part where they were dating longer. But also, like, he calls her up and says, hey, I need you to come here for the wedding. And she treats it like they have been dating this whole time in a way, like, no, they haven't. They're they're friends. They've kept up this friendship with each other as they've had casual relationships with but other people. But the language that's being used, like I've had, like she's basically saying, like I've had him for the nine years. He's strung me along for the nine years. He's no, no. She's the one who strung him along. She felt comfortable keeping their relationship the way that it was but once the villainous turn happens once she is the she starts out the movie the villain of the movie because her specific plan is to to sabotage his wedding it, it's almost like retroactively she is placing this this romantic relationship on them like like romance isn't a retroactive thing <laughs> but for her in this instance it is but this is something that people do to other people that they have friendships or relationships with all the time where they think that they can put certain limits on a relationship put somebody in a box kind of like how she put him and then whenever she was actually ready for that kind of intimacy he'd be there she she relied on this idea that he was just going to be there and be waiting for her whenever she was ready to be open with him. I don't know. I guess... And then realized that she was losing the guy. I guess for me, it's kind of like a... Um... Uh, what, 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 high fidelity thing, right? Where, like, I think you and Nick 
did a very good job of highlighting all of the the good things about that movie. Yeah, there are things that but, work. And I think there are definitely things that work in this movie, but the 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 central core character of Jules being who she is 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 it's on a level that is like she is just unlikable to me. I don't She's not meant to be right, likable. Right, but there's a like neither is the guy in High Fidelity and yet any time that movie starts to gain momentum, I feel the same way about this movie. Like any time this movie starts to gain momentum, we just shut down and go back anytime we take one step forward, we take two steps back because then it just becomes about Michael and I don't care about Michael. I don't know why they like, okay, you know what I, mean? like okay. I don't know why she likes him. I don't know why, like we'll, we'll get into that. But one of the things that I do like okay. is that she arrives into Chicago and immediately Kimmy is like, Hey, will you be my, my, um, my maid of honor, which is really cool. And she's like, you've known me, right. eight minutes. but it's really cool because Kimmy is putting her trust in Jules to not sabotage her wedding. Uh, he's saying, listen, you mean a lot to Michael, so you mean a lot to me, so, so, and I don't have anyone else. Will you do it? And this allows for hijinks. Again, like, the first 20 minutes of this movie is, like, perfectly hijinksy setup. But the I loved how she drives. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, just like Melanie from the birds and just like Cameron Diaz in night and day Cameron oh, yeah. D I, I wrote in my notes, Cameron D is gearhead. This is the, here we go. So Jules basically schemes to break up the couple and in, in doing so she, even though Kimmy is so Kimmy good is to likeable. her, Kimmy is trying Kimmy so is hard. Uh, Kimmy Jules is in the perfect spot where she can take Kimmy's, uh, intimate secrets and insecurities about the wedding and, and and everything in general and and exploit them. So for the first thing she really does is Kimmy admits that she doesn't like singing or karaoke. And so what does Jules do? Jules takes her to a karaoke bar where Michael and Jules clearly have this musical connection. I like the framing of that scene where they put they put uh, her and Michael next right. to each other and then Kimmy's face Kimmy's between the them. Meal. And then they did, and then they did the same thing when they cut back to just like, like as things changed and as Kimmy and Michael bonded, it was, they flipped it to where Jules was then the one on the yeah. outside. And so Kimmy is, uh, I like the man singing I Am Woman, too, at the beginning. Um, so, Kimmy is is coerced into singing a uh, karaoke song. And she is very bad. People are heckling her. But using her pure charm and X Factor, uh, Kimmy Cameron Diaz is able to turn the bar onto her side. And the entire bar starts digging it. And she kind of becomes like the hero the hero of the bar she things are not going to be easy for for jules to ruin this wedding you can't make her look like a fool because she already can make fun right. of herself so now we get in Cameron diaz is so good at yeah, stuff like she, that. i thought she was extremely adorable in this scene because i'm not really a huge fan of 
Diaz or Julia Roberts, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, but Julia Roberts' hair. Oh, I loved her hair in this movie so much. Her curls and her waves, they look so beautiful. I think I must have written down <laughs> I love her hair she like does five have nice times. Hair. Um so we, we start the grand overarching scheme plot of um of Jules trying to trick Kimmy into asking her father to give Michael a, a, a job with the Chicago White Sox. And even though that may or may not be what Kimmy wanted all along, um, it also kind of exposes why Jules and Michael didn't work out. Jules is very condescending about Michael and his yeah. job. And Kimmy, even though Kimmy might want Michael to work for her dad, she has a lot more respect for him and his right. profession than uh, Jules does. So Jules is frustrated because all of her plans are blowing up in her face, like uh, like Wiley Coyote and the Acme Corporation. Uh, it, it's not going well. So what does she do? She calls her best friend, George. George. Oh, I love George, George so much. By Rupert Everett. Um, and gorgeous. George comes along and he, he plays the gay guy who now has to be Jules's fiance, right? Their fiance, quote unquote. I love, they give George some of the best lines. And I will say, I think every scene between George and Jules, those were my favorite scenes in the movie. Any scene with George in it was alive to me. But uh, one of the things he says to her, it's amazing the clarity that comes with psychotic jealousy. Yeah. Um, I will I like say <laughs> that when George comes into the the movie proper, uh, in in this regard, in terms of like what the plot requires of him, I was like, I was kind of checked out of this movie. I'm not gonna lie. No, you didn't but like George. Once George starts hijinxing it up to the max, I was like, okay, this is more. I need more of this. I, I feel like there are certain rom com movies like Truth About Cats and Dogs, or or something like that where like the main movie is is not one that i will particularly remember but there are definitely some like classic hijinks setups and payoffs that are really done really well and i think uh rupert everett <laughs> really has a lot of fun with this role so yeah. Oh yeah. I, and I love, you know, it's it's such a uh, fake relationships are such a rom-com trope. Uh but I feel like it, when it's done well, like it's done here, it's just so much fun and George is just having so much fun at her expense. Yes. Um yeah, the, the when when main characters bring it upon themselves, the the torture that they endure upon themselves, that's always a fun little uh that that's always when hijinks are 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 at their best. Um so did you catch when she compared them to Doris Day yes, and Rock which I Hudson? never would have picked up on unless it were for this <laughs> podcast. Uh yeah, Doris they are a Doris and Rock Yeah, I pairing. thought that was great. I, I definitely liked the meta humor reference there. Um, 
But things things again get really weird really quick because again, like we need the plot to go in a certain way. So we need we need Jules to tell Michael that that her relationship with George is over and that George is just crazy. And then Michael admits that, you know, actually I was feeling a little bit jealous when you were uh, with him. Crazy. Uh, but in, so she lets the moment pass. They dance as Michael sings their song to her. So again, like, The Way You Look Tonight, which is a very romantic song. Dermot Mulroney was, it's not that he's bad in this movie. I just think he was incredibly miscast as this, like. Who would have been better? I don't know. I have to think about it. But. Not Nick Nolte. Julia Roberts hates him. He is, he's, he's this Zen Taoist jock meathead it's this really weird combination he's not a meathead he's a sports he guy the he's a sports guy who's into sports and he's like yeah. actually him being into sports is probably the least convincing thing and about just him. like the way that he t- like like at, at some points he's talking to her about their relationship and he's saying like wow we were really close huh yeah wow and then she's like tearing up in front of him going sometimes people need to hear the thing that they need like my biggest problem is that he's he is so totally out of touch with what she's feeling that it makes him look aggressively maniacal in his affection for her I don't. Th- I think the idea is that he doesn't really know what he's doing. Like he, uh, but he, you're, you're, you're right. Confused. I don't think he knows what he's doing. But when you look in her eyes and see the pain that she is enduring, those vulnerable Julia Roberts eyes up, and her, her, she's doing that thing with her mouth where she's like kind of smiling but, but almost <laughs> crying, like. I, all I wanted, <laughs> That's a Julia Roberts all I wanted signature. to do was just reach out and hug her because she plays it so well. But he's such a dumb jock meathead that he's like, uh, uh, like he's he's so out of touch. It's like, why do you even like him? He cannot understand that you are in pain right now. How is this a relationship at all? Like, I don't, I, I just. Well, Michael is totally wrong for her. She's totally wrong for Michael, and Michael is totally wrong for her. And the only person who actually sees Jules for who she really is is George. And I like that before George leaves, he tells her – he gives her the real truth as a real best friend would, which is you're going to tell him that you love him. He's going to reject you, and you are going to watch as he marries someone else. That's what's going to happen yes. here, and that's what you came here to do, not to get him so, back. Again, like, I was going nuts in this movie. However, there was that part of me that was like, wait a minute. Clearly, she's the bad guy, and clearly she's not going to win in the end in terms of this relationship because – of the theme of this week's podcast. So I kind of was like, at least this movie (laughs) is going to have a self-aware tone to it. But I do, I did love the scene where he's like, wait a minute, you're chasing him. He's chasing her. 
who's chasing you? No one? Get get the hint. Uh, one of the better. That's one of the <laughs> best scenes. The hint. Um, uh, that was great. But but yeah, like with the you see like on the boat when they have the dance and they sing the song, I, the way you look tonight, the the first word that's sung in that song is someday. And with Jules and Michael, their whole relationship is based on someday. Never today, never right now, never right here. Everything that they sort of dream about or fantasize about with each other is in the right. future. When we turn 28, when this or that happens. Um, she doesn't have the courage to to be in the moment with him. And that's what that whole thing was about. I, I, I get the building blocks that you are saying the movie has established to make these scenes work. I just don't, I agree that the scenes kind of work, but I don't agree that the building blocks, that the foundation is there. Uh, maybe it's just the fact that this isn't my genre or that I don't have a connection to the actors or actresses as much, or I don't know. But again, like we have more of this, will they, won't they in terms of like, Dermot Mulroney. Uh, I... He has to be ambiguous right. in his performance. It's like he can't show that he really wants her, but he also can't show that he just completely thinks of her platonically. Right. Uh, the, the movie is, to me, the movie feels sloppy, but it also feels sloppy with a point, which I, I would much rather take sloppy with a point than just sloppy. Um, but... Yeah, so the the big the big thing about Jules sending the fake email that would that would mean that um Michael is going to take a quote unquote office gig, a sort of boring day job and he's never going to take a boring day job. Um Jules sends the email from Kimmy's dad's email account. I mean, there's hijinks with her not sending it, saving it for later than the the secretary sending it. But either way, Michael gets news from his employer that there are hijinks involved. So he calls off the wedding. Jules confesses her love for Michael and passionately kisses him. Wait, no, no, no. You're skipping you're skipping a whole portion of of plot. Before we get to that part, let me just say what what happens between okay. those points. So, he he's in the hotel room talking to Kimmy telling her it's off. Um we have the moment between Jules and Paul Giamatti oh, yeah. where she admits that she's a bad person and he's like you really can't <laughs> smoke here. Um, and then when I, so I was maybe like eight or nine when this movie came out initially. And I remember the scene where, so Julia Roberts tried on the, the wedding ring, couldn't get it off. Um, and then Dermot Mulroney puts her finger in his mouth and uses his teeth to get the ring off. And I thought that this was a real intimate, like kind of like, sexy thing when I was younger because I had no frame of reference. Um, but now watching it as an adult and as a former smoker, her fingers would have tasted disgusting. Ooh, yeah. 
Oh my god, I can't I can't imagine something grosser than licking a smoker's fingers. Yuck. Um even if it even if that smoker is Julia Roberts, that's disgusting. But but yeah, he says that he's going to break things off, but then before the big confession from Jules, we have this whole back and forth between him and uh Kimmy where he asks Jules to go to Kimmy and ask Kimmy if she still loves him. And then she's supposed to go back to him and tell him that, that yeah, you guys still love each other and the wedding is still on. This all happens before the kiss. And then also my favorite monologue from this movie, the Jello versus creme brulee stage, okay. where Jules tries to convince Kimmy that she is not what he wants and then compares her to creme brulee and says, no, he wants something like jello. And I love Cameron Diaz delivery of I can be jello. Yeah. It's uh, I, I could see. Yeah. I, I could see how this movie hits those satisfying rom-com beats. Uh, and I thought that was a good scene. <laughs> everything she's saying is so wrong right. like 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 the re all of her reasoning every everything she's saying is so diabolical and wrong um but but she just doesn't get it like there's nothing that she could say or do that could make these two people fall out of love right. with each other yeah i i like i i don't know i feel like this is a movie that could be ripe for a remake <laughs> i don't Possibly, or a Hulu miniseries. But then after all of that happens, the scene in the gazebo where she finally, finally tells him that she loves him and she kisses him. But does he kiss back? Good question. The answer is no. Uh, So we get a big, we get a big hijinksy chase scene um, where again, uh, essentially what we're doing is we're just, very rom commy somebody witnessing right. the kiss. We are we are pushing back the tension. We are ratcheting up the tension again so that this can be a, a bigger finale. This is we we are now in finale ratcheting tension mode, which is the exact mode that I don't want to be in. So uh, uh but it's the third act. It's time. I, I'm ready for it to to be done. Uh, but we, uh, all right. So essentially, so she finds Michael at College Union Station or uh, College Union Chicago Union Station. Uh, Jules confesses everything to him, and he just like straight up forgives her and and tells her that this is the station where he proposed to Kimmy, and so he figured maybe this is where she would go to. And in this moment, Jules makes a vow to reunite them. So she says, listen, she decides to right, do the this right. This is where thing. she says, I'm the bad guy. I'm going to make this right. This is where the movie starts to get into like, all right, we, we were in on the joke the whole time. The movie was aware that she was the bad guy the whole time. We are now making things right. She finds him in the bathroom of Comiskey Park. 
Oh, I loved the bathroom scene. I loved the female and, chorus. Yeah, this is a great scene because she is the other woman and all the other women in the bathroom are sort of saying, you are a bad person. And then she's saying like, no, yeah, I am a bad person, but I'm trying to make it right. And then she has a heart to heart with Cameron Diaz. And when she says, I just want to bring you to the man of our dreams, like, I'm not going to lie, man. Like, I do get a little misty eyed because Julia Roberts is a professional. <laughs> like, She is a freaking <laughs> professional. I think even though I don't, I'm not a big Julia Roberts fan and I'm not a big fan of her rom-com TM movies. Yeah. We're more Sandy B people. She has an appeal for a reason. Uh, She, she makes this scene work so well. And I thought Cameron Diaz made this scene work so well. It's such a great scene. Um, Yeah. So she ends up bringing, uh, Kimmy, I always get the names wrong. She ends up bringing Kimmy back to the wedding. They end up getting married. And as a wedding gift, Jules gives them their quote unquote song together. It's like a temporary thing. Yeah, but... she gave them her song yes. with Michael. Now she's letting that be their so memory. Even though that's kind of like, I could be a cynic and say like, that's really dumb and messed up or whatever, whatever. Like I thought... Again, we're in rom-com TM territory. I thought that was kind of sweet where she's like, listen, I've moved on. Here you go. Here's the song. I hope you two have the best. I I hope you guys have a kissy, kissy, happy ending. Um, And then we get this really weird, bizarre, like almost creepy, weird scene where George goes... It's not creepy and weird. It's absolutely adorable. And I would be thrilled if my best friend surprised me in this way. He goes completely out of his way to provide this grand romantic gesture and also to, uh, to, to reinforce some stereotypes about the gay people. But... Oh, by saying that they're not going to have sex because he's but gay? he will dance with her. Because he's a good dancer. Because he's gay. Uh, they're but soulmates. I, no, 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 no. They're soulmates but, and they belong again, together. Like, uh, the cynic in me could scoff at this and be like, man, this isn't good. This isn't really sweet. This is really creepy. But uh, no, the the way that Rupert Everett pours it off is very nice. He, uh, he... Right from the moment he calls, I had that overwhelming sensation that he was going to, like, quote-unquote, be right behind her. And, yeah, he says, like, no, listen, I'll be there for you. We are friends. You don't, you know, you, you didn't lose your your best friend in Michael. You gained a best friend in me. I'll still be there even though you are a crazy person. Uh, he he does her. get her. And so, yeah, the, the movie kind of ends happily with, everyone kind of ending up with who they should end up with, whether that's on a romantic level or not. Um, I don't know. I think that PJ Hogan, the director of this movie really has, a he's really good at depicting friendships. Uh, I was maybe this close to picking uh, a PJ Hogan movie for our Australian episode. I, almost picked 
Muriel's mm. wedding, um, which, you know, the centerpiece of Muriel's wedding is this friendship that Muriel has with another woman, Rhonda, and they kind of bond over their mutual love of ABBA. And so replace Rhonda and Muriel with George and Jules and ABBA with Dion Warwick, and you've got my best friend's wedding. Uh, so I, I feel like PJ Hogan, as if I were to do it Brett style and say one good thing, I think PJ Hogan's one good thing is he can really write a good friend calm. Yeah, I think I think the the friendships in this movie are way better than the uh, than the romantic relationships. But yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I ultimately think that the performances made this movie worth, worth enjoying at least. All right. All right. So who would you kill from this movie? Oh yeah. That's a good question. Um, I don't know. Who would you kill? Hmm, I don't know. I kind of want to kill Michael so that Cameron Diaz and Julia Roberts and Rupert Rupert Everett can have this grand old adventure together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to, like, come up with a fun one or, like, a mercy killing (laughs) or something. The chick who licked the statue? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I guess I I don't, I don't know. I I mean, I kind of just want to say Jules. <laughs> like she's so she's so she can't wreck any yeah, weddings. Yeah, because she's a bad person. She's a selfish person. <laughs> and um yeah, I don't know. I I I'll just have to go with Jules on this one. Um I don't know, man. So, how how did you find turning this into a horror? I'm curious to know, like, what elements you drew on to make it. You know what's crazy is after I watched the movie, I had my concept and I was like, cool, I got it. This is going to be great. Um, but then I had to actually write it and I was like, mer, mer, writing's yeah. hard and I don't have ideas, um, which is exactly what I sound like when I'm writing. Um, so I was thinking about it and I thought, you know, George and Jules are kind of like Waldo and Laura in Laura but the not toxic version of that. So Laura and Waldo are the toxic version of George and George. Gotcha. And then I was like, okay, well, what, what can we do with that idea? Uh, and, and you'll, you'll find that I just, I ripped off Laura sure. basically. <laughs> this is what I did. Uh, what about you? I, I have, I have the start of an idea. <laughs> For one, I could not, this was one where like, I liked my idea, but I couldn't flesh it out without the idea just kind of crumbling apart. But at the same, 
Sounds like what happened. But at the same time, I didn't want to just get rid of the idea and go all in on some of my more high concepty, high jinxy horror movies. Um, Because I was like, I I think this is an interesting idea. I just have no, it's, it's the kind of movie that's like, oh, wow, this would be a cool movie to see, but I would have no idea how to make it. So it's kind of like my best friend's wedding. Like I didn't really like this movie, but I have almost no ways I could improve on this movie because I, that this movie isn't for me. You know what I mean? So I, I, I made the horror version of that. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So was it my turn to go first? Is it? Okay. So, yes. So for my movie, I'm going to, again, like with my other uh, remake, it's going to be a sequel to My Best Friend's Wedding. So we can call it My Best Friend's Anniversary or something. But basically, Jules goes back home to New York, and she's trying to get her life back together, right? So maybe we can bring this up to the days of modern viral sensation stuff where, like, Maybe someone took a viral video of her in the bathroom, and so, well, yeah. like her in the bathroom at the the with Cameron Diaz fighting. So, like everyone knows she's a bad guy. So she's trying to play it cool. She's trying to stay low. She's trying to keep a, a, a yeah a low profile. <laughs> but her life is clearly falling apart, and so she's she's doing her best to just like totally engross herself in her job but her job becomes this source of stress and anxiety as she realizes that like she doesn't really know what she's doing when it comes to food critic stuff because anytime she goes to a restaurant now she gets anxiety and then she starts hearing music and then we're going to start including these really intense set pieces with music. So kind of like how people just start singing songs in this movie. Is she going to start singing the way you look tonight? Because that's their song. No, but like songs like that are going to start appearing. So it's kind of also like a, a silver linings playbook where the songs are triggers for him. Anytime she's in a restaurant, and she starts hearing this song, like the entire restaurant starts singing the song to her or the entire restaurant starts enacting the song or basically she starts going crazy and then she can't focus on the food and then she can't write a proper review. So then she gets even more spiraling down this descent of depression and this idea of like imposter syndrome where she's like, am I even really supposed to be a food critic? Because Clearly, I don't have any idea of what I'm doing. And then, like, family starts to get involved. And she she goes over to a family member's house for, for something, like Thanksgiving or whatever. And there's, like, this tradition that they have. But she gets the tradition wrong. And she, again, starts to think that, like, something's not right here. So then she goes over to her best friend's house and uh, uh, Rupert's house, uh, George's house. But then she realizes that, like, there's no pictures of them together. Like they have all these memories, but there's no proof of these memories existing. Oh no. Is she a beautiful so, mind? I don't know exactly how, what that means in this context, but 
You never saw the movie did, Beautiful Mind? But, so is it all in her head? Is it all in her? Well, no. Yeah. So then maybe she goes to like a lawyer and she's got to do something involving a lawyer and her job. And maybe she's up for like this big new contract or something. But either way, this lawyer gets her to sign a, a bunch of paperwork. But then things start really spiraling out of control. And then we realize that... <laughs> Okay, okay, so we're going to go into some real Metal Gear Solid territory uh, for people who don't know. Metal, there's a lot of crazy shit in the Metal Gear franchise. Essentially, what's happened is Jules and Kimmy have been brain swapped, and she has been no she way. has she has been brain swapped so that. What happened in Metal Gear? Oh, there's Gear? so much brain swapping and, and mind control and brainwashing going on. So I don't know how this is exactly going to happen. But essentially, we are in the physical body of Jules, but it's the character of Kimmy. Kimmy has been brainwashed and flushed out. So it's kind of like... Uh, uh, a get-out scenario, right? Where, like... People are taking over other people's bodies and their brains and all this stuff. So essentially, Dermot Mulroney wanted uh, what 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 Kimmy what what Jules thinks at this point now, and Jules is now Kimmy. It's hard to talk about. Oh my god! Don't even get me started on explaining Metal Gear to to Sonya. But essentially, Kimmy now thinks that that she that that okay so kimmy thinks that joe kimmy i'm terrible with names kimmy thinks that michael just wanted her essentially for her body but wanted the mind of of jules so they brain swapped so she goes and she kills michael and takes kimmy cameron diaz Maybe to like, I don't know, some basketball or baseball stadium, baseball, whatever. And she's going to do some evil thing where they're going to switch bodies back or she's going to like unbrainwash me, you evil, whatever. But then George comes in and George kills Kimmy, who is really Jules. And then. Oh, no, his best friend. But then we learned that Rupert Everett has switched bodies with uh, uh, Dermot Mulroney. Michael? So now, like, everyone switched bodies. And maybe there's, like, this – this um, and, and so, like, in retaliation – she doesn't know that yet. So in retaliation, she kills him. But then she realizes, oh, no, it's like Romeo and Juliet. Like, oh, no, my brain-swapped lover killed – my the traitor who brain swapped with me so now i killed them but really the person that i killed is the person that i love so essentially what i'm saying is all of this would make a fantastic trailer for a really great mind fuck movie but like <laughs> this movie could never exist because it clearly does not make any sense but this is the kind of movie where when you google it the suggestion is the title of the movie yes, explained. Yes, 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 yes. And even then, it's not really explained. It's just like someone kind of gives you a very surface level reading of the ending and, and says some 
some sort of foo-foo cinematic terms and it's like explained and you're like but is it really explained like, they, they didn't, didn't explain, explain anything. it so yeah i want to make a movie that's impossible to explain but people will be afraid to admit they didn't get it. <laughs> so uh several christopher yes. nolan movies um how about you i'm curious to know <laughs> what direction Oh, I think you know exactly how this movie's going to right, shake out. So let, let, let's just get through it. I called my movie Jules. Uh, and, and her name, not, right, not right, Jules, right. but yeah. So George and Jules, they're best friends. She writes food reviews. He's her editor. They have this seemingly perfect symbiotic relationship. And then Jules disappears. So Detective Morelli is on the case with George as his guide. George tries to explain the kind of person that Jules is. And, and George's picture of Jules is like, she's a goddess. She's mysterious. She's interesting. She's vengeful. She, you know, he he's really building up Jules to be this just incredibly perfect being. Uh, and then when Morelli interviews Michael, Jules' old friend, and then Michael's wife, Kimmy, they reveal that, oh, no, Jules tried to break up our wedding. Jules did all these things. Jules is not perfect at all. And Morelli asks them for alibis, but conveniently, they can only give alibis for each other. Um, but then they don't have anybody else to vouch for them. Um, so they, they look highly suspicious. Um, next, Morelli goes back to interview Werner, George's husband, but he can't seem to get a hold of him. Um, and maybe it's revealed later that George has been making Werner up. And actually, he's not in a committed relationship. Actually, he's lonely and, and, and single and, and, totally obsessed with Jules, but similar to how the dynamic was in Laura, it's very obvious in Laura that Waldo is gay. Right. Like his obsession with Laura isn't sexual. It's like something totally different. Um, so, so yeah, like George is still gay, um, but, but he's highly suspicious. Um, and then uh, next, Morale decides he's going to go back to Jules' place to find more evidence, and he thinks he's alone, but then in walks Jules herself. Where has she been? What is she doing? But before Morelli can get any answers, they hear a thudding sound in the next room. They run to the cause of the sound. It's Kimmy's oh, dead body. Geez. So Morelli arrests Jules. She's like, I didn't do it. She tells Morelli that she disappeared because Michael kept trying to get Jules to have an affair with him. And she just got so sick of it that she decided to lay low for a few days. Uh, and then she tells Morelli that Michael has to be the killer because clearly what must have happened was Michael went over to Jules' place looking for her. Kimmy followed him and then Michael killed her. Clearly, that's the explanation. Uh, and then Morelli gets a warrant to search Michael's apartment, but he doesn't find anything. Um, and he, you know, maybe there's all this false evidence pointing to Michael, but it's like the real, the, you know, the smoking gun isn't there. So what are we missing here? 
Um, so then maybe I don't, I don't know how we get Morelli back into Jules' apartment, but we get him back into Jules' apartment because he knows that if the murder weapon isn't at Michael's place, then maybe Michael left it at Jules' place. And better yet, if Michael left it at Jules' place, then clearly he's going to have to come back there and get it. But who shows up at Jules' apartment? Not Michael, but George. What reason does George have to kill Jules? And so we have our whole struggle. We learn that there was no Werner. And we learn that George wanted to kill Jules because he did not like that she was trying to become a good person. George, for his own reasons, enjoys her being the villain. He celebrates her villainy, her being a kind of cold diva bitch. That's that's what he wants to worship. And, and she's lowering herself. She's just becoming like every other woman. Why would she want to take away all of her charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, all, all that mm-hmm. cuntiness that, that makes her admirable. Um, but, but yeah, that, that's why he did it. And that's why he got punished. And that's my movie. It's so original. Right. I know. I, I definitely didn't get any of this from somewhere. From a very identifiable source. <laughs> well, you know, uh, imitation is the best form of flattery. Yeah, it is. I mean, and also it's, I feel like, like, the, the, people imitate and plagiarize and copy because they just don't have right. time. Like, making something original and interesting unless you're like Mozart and you're just divinely inspired and it comes out of your head it it takes time to make something that's actually good yeah it does it's it's a muscle the brain is a muscle that needs to be creatively flexed unless you're Amadeus in which case you can just giggle your way around a symphony exactly Now, you can flex your creative muscles by following us on all them social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also email us at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. Please like us and subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please. Or else, (laughs) since we're villains. No, actually, nothing's going to happen to you. Nothing at all. I can't even get you to have different sponsored ad (laughs) content. Um, Well, hey, actually, speaking of podcasts, I have a little podcast recommendation for this week's Love Bite. Oh, go ahead. There's a podcast called Common Descent. And, oh, let me see. Is it about genealogy? Uh, It is called Common Descent Podcast. And it is, I'm trying to see who the people are on it. Because I just started listening to it myself. Either way, it's uh, this podcast with these two guys who are like these scientist-y type guys. And they go over genealogy, evolution of stuff. 
And so one of the latest ones that they did was hyenas. They go into the evolution of hyenas, which is fascinating. Uh, Some of the other ones I've listened to are parasites, venom, and poison. Uh, I listened to one on crocodiles, I think. Um, But essentially, it's just these two guys who are like, yeah, let us break down all of the theories on how these animals evolved and what they evolved from and how what they might evolve into and who just all the traits that these animals have and how they got them and why they have them blah 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 i think it is a fantastically bingeable listenable awesome show where they give you timestamps. so like i skip all of the pre-episode stuff because <laughs> I'm, I'm new to this. So I don't need to like hear about like, Oh, you know, in April, 2020, we're going to have this event coming up. Like I get to skip all the gunk. I go right for the good stuff. And I just, I don't know. I find it endlessly fascinating that evolution is a thing and that we have over a billion animals or whatever it is and i I like the ones that are based on insects too as you know i like it when they go all phase four you're an insect (laughs) Um, guy and so yeah i just uh i i think the show's great it's super listenable and you learn you learn stuff i like some good learning descent common descent podcast wherever you get your podcast needs from yeah, that sounds fun. How about you? What's your love bite? As you know, I like to recommend by theme. Last week, I recommended Amadeus. This week, I would like to recommend a show that I mentioned uh, in the last episode. It's a show called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is from the perspective of a character who would typically be a villain, the crazy ex-girlfriend, but it's from her point of view. This woman runs into her ex-boyfriend on the street and after one conversation decides to pick up and move to the town where he lives, which is some crazy ex-girlfriend stuff for sure. Uh, it is a musical comedy, and it's a lot of fun. Brett's wife, Sonia, is also yeah, a Yeah, I've seen, I don't know if I've ever seen a full episode of it, but I've seen a lot of the musical bits. I've seen a lot of the songs. It's good, yeah. It's a funny, it's a funny show. It's very well done. And there's even a song called I'm the villain of my own story. And it's very satirical and funny and uh, uh, overly spooky in its musical arrangement. Uh, But it's a it's a fun and clever show. Very nice. Yeah. My. My crazy ex. What is it called again? Uh, Just it's just called crazy Crazy ex-girlfriend. Um. Yeah, I I also like when smart people can play good crazy because the lady Ra- Rachel Bloom mm-hmm. is her name, right? Yeah, yes, uh, she's clearly a smart lady, but she plays crazy pretty freaking well. That she does. That she does. Uh, I really like uh, this is one of those shows where every season has a different opening. And in the second season's opening, 
she pops her head through a paper heart and goes <laughs> blam. And it's just like, you know, Porky Pig going, that's all folks. Yeah. It's just very in your face. And I love it. I think it's yeah. hilarious. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a very good cartoony show. We're like the first time I, I kind of started watching it. I was like, this is dumb. But then very quickly you go, Oh no, it's on purpose. Okay. I gotcha. Um, yeah. It takes a real smart person to be this that's stupid. Right. <laughs> One day I'll get that <laughs> smart. <laughs> to be that to be stupid, that stupid. <laughs> but until then we will continue to be as i mean well are we that smart <laughs> but we'll we'll leave the audience to judge uh all right well until next time Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.